you know how you see all those life coaches on Instagram they always say talk about how you know you could go to the gym for four hours one day it's not going to make a difference for the next day it's about repetition and it's about you know doing things over and over again and so like you know if I'm eating healthily and I'm working out right and I'm reading I'm doing all those things most of the time it will flow through for those other days that you can't do it. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share candid chats on all aspects of well-being so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebelagen. Before she was interviewing Chris Hemsworth on the red carpet or making history as the first woman of Asian descent to be crowned Miss Universe Australia or even becoming a beauty ambassador for Swiss, Francesca Hung struggled with her identity. For a long time, her mental health was affected by not feeling like she truly belonged, like she was in no man's land and she didn't look typically Australian while also being disconnected from her Asian heritage. It's a feeling many first-gen Aussies will relate to, but one that's not often spoken about or the effect it's had on mental health. It's why Francesca is sharing her story so openly. In this episode, Francesca talks about how she made peace with her identity the impact of exercise and cold showers on her well-being, and why true beauty and wellness comes from within. Well, Francesca, thank you so much for joining us on Uninterrupted today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So we're very much settled into 2023 now, and I wondered if you'll want to set intentions or resolutions for a new year, how are those going? Well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I feel like New Year's resolutions, I always set them. And then it's sort of like halfway through the year, I'm like, oh, I really didn't do that. But um, my resolution for this year was to try new things. So that sounds pretty simple, but um, push myself kind of outside my comfort zone a little bit. So that means like taking risks with fashion, for instance, with my business um, and also trying new things like swimming or I don't know, just, just trying to do something different. And, you know, like I changed up my look the other day, I, you know, cut my hair and went back to my sort of more natural roots. So just little changes like that keep life interesting. Like also jumping into a pool in a, a lovely evening dress for our shoot. <laughs> yes. Well, I can't say that I've ever done that before. So that was definitely trying something new. So what prompted this kind of resolution of wanting to try something new this year? I think that I am someone that likes, I don't know, like I can't, I don't, I get scared of change sometimes and I get very like, I like what I like, my schedule, you know, what I eat or whatever it is. And I don't like things moving or changing. And I kind of, I don't want to get stuck in that pattern. Um, I want to push myself. I feel like you can only grow if you do push yourself outside of those comfort zones. So I feel like I'm at the age, I'm 28, and I'm thinking, okay, now's the time. You've got the confidence to do it. That's so good. So around the time I was about that age, I decided I was going to do one thing a day that scared me. And it could be like really little things like answering my phone if I didn't recognize a number. Because who wants to answer their phone if they don't recognize the number? But then big things like skydiving or then really challenging things like talking to a friend when they've disappointed you. And you, like back in the day, I used to just keep it to myself. I'd be scared to have those hard conversations. So I did things like that. And uh, yeah, it just 
it just totally transformed my life. It's amazing. As soon as you start doing like, that's so funny you said that because my partner, he's, he, his job is pretty much like talking on the phone all day, every day. And he always laughs at me because every time I get a phone call, I never answer it in the past. And he'd say, but you don't know who's calling. And his whole thing is picking up the phone to anyone. And I said, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone. Like even when I had to make a doctor's appointment, I would try and like book it online or I don't want to talk to anyone to make any appointments. When I started my business, I needed to answer the phone. And so now I've like made myself answer all phones, which seems so silly, but it is like a fear. And uh, once you start doing it more and more and more, you're like, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. It's interesting the way you said that about your partner. It made me think that maybe when he hears a phone ring, he thinks that, oh, there could be a cool opportunity at the end of that line, right? Whereas for me in the past, I'm like, oh God, I didn't, it, it seems like bad news. I don't want to go there. Yeah, I know. And then as soon as you change your mindset around it, instead of it being, oh goodness, what is this? It could be an opportunity. It shifts how you go through your whole day. Yeah, definitely. Now you mentioned you know, running your own business. You work on so many different things. Even when we had the photo shoot the other week, I remember you said you were leaving to go to your mum's place to send out um, orders. Like you, you're also the e, a, a host of E. You know, we've got this, you're working with Swiss as an ambassador now too. And you're pursuing an acting career. How do you manage your time so that you're not working 24-7 or are you just working 24-7? Look, it's, um, it's an interesting one. I wear many different hats, that's for sure. I've gotten very good at learning when to kind of switch off. I don't know, it's hard. Like in this industry, when you're working in TV or film or that sort of thing, like you don't have normal hours. Um, and so I'm kind of used to sometimes, you know, you might be working all weekend or you might be working nights. So I just make sure that when I do have that time off or that free time, I really utilize it, enjoy it. So that might mean that if I know I've got a Monday free, then that is like, I'll make sure that I've made time to go for a walk with my partner or to send the night at my mum and dad's house to have dinner with them to catch up. So you've just got to use those moments. It's just not the standard weekend catch ups. It's sort of when I can see friends for a coffee in the morning, you know? Well, you mentioned earlier too, that you love a schedule. You're committed to so many different things. How do you, how do you create that schedule? So the schedule probably doesn't look like your normal okay, 6am we do this, 7am we do that. It just, it means that I have a kind of a schedule of how I'd like my day to go. So it means that depending on what time I have to get up, I'd like to do a workout in the morning. That's my thing for my head. So that could be at 4am if I have to be somewhere at five, or it could be at nine if I've got something at 11. Um, I just, I'm flexible with the timings um, and, you know, make sure I have a really good breakfast, whatever time that is. And then always like in the afternoon, if I have time to go for a walk with my dog. And then if I get time, always my favorite thing in the night to do is to sit down and watch some TV. Yeah. And I'm guessing like sometimes it doesn't work out like that at all because you have so many different things um, pop up. How in those situations, how do you help yourself like reground, for example, and feel then ready for whatever's coming next because I find that like say with my work or life um I'll have I'll have this great plan of what I want and all the stuff I get done and shit comes up and I'm get a bit frazzled and then I have to learn how to you know uh find that place again where I feel focused 
So I think that in the past, um, I used to get really stressed out if I couldn't meet those sort of things. Like I used to always think I had to do a workout every day or I had to have that, that breakfast at that time or I had to do something, you know, and you get stuck in a cycle and then it would throw me out. So if I couldn't do that, I think I'd, my head the whole day would be like, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do it. Oh my goodness. Like I've ruined my whole day's ruin sort of thing. So I had to learn to just let go and just sometimes things aren't going to go to plan and not to get so caught up in that. Um, and then that's really helped me because I used to get really stressed out about that. How do I do that now? I don't know. I think I've just like to beat myself in my head to say, it's fine. Like one day is not going to change anything. It's about the, you know, I think there's like someone, you know, how you see all those life coaches on Instagram. They always say, talk about how, you know, you could go to the gym for four hours one day. It's not going to make a difference for the next day. It's about repetition and it's about, you know, doing things over and over again. And so like, you know, if I'm eating healthily and I'm working out right and I'm reading, I'm doing all those things, most of the time it will flow through for those other days that you can't do it. It's about not being so much of a perfectionist, but just staying consistent. Yes. Consistency is key. One thing you mentioned to us was how your mental health, looking after your mental health is just as important for you these days as your physical health. Um, Can you tell me more about why and what that looks like for you? One of the things I think, I don't know, growing up, mental health has always been something that I wouldn't say I've struggled with, but it's something that I notice that I have to actively spend time on looking after my mental health. Um, I feel like I've always been quite an emotional person. And so I feel things quite strongly. So if I've been upset, I'm really upset or, um, you know, even angry, those sort of things. Um, So I've had to really monitor that because it could affect my relationships or how I go about my day. And I think that, you know, all stems from, like having been an identity crisis growing up. We also have like some mental health um, issues in the family. So I'm, I've always been really highly, highly aware of it. I think that I would try and, I don't know, for me, like the physical activity, I do that for my mental health rather than um, for a physical thing because I know that it like clears my head or, it helps me remain focused or just like release those endorphins. I've been very open. I think I had parents that were very open to me seeing psychologists and all that sort of thing. And I think psychologists are great um, and doing all those things. It was never like a taboo thing. It was never like, oh, you've got a problem. You need to see a psychologist. It was like, oh, have a chat to someone that's completely separate to you that you can talk to. I think it's completely normal. That's so nice because it, it takes away that yeah, the, any like any kind of heavy associations with it. It's just a conversation that you're having with someone outside of your, you know, your usual your usual people. I mean, I find it so interesting that you know we live in a society where we focus so much on yeah our physical health, like what we put into our bodies and what we're putting onto our faces and what exercises we're doing. But like our brain and our emotions, like all of that is is everything. You know, that makes up our whole world. Um, and we do, I don't know how much we spend on thinking how good is our mental health. So when you were talking about the, the physical things that you like to do to help with your mental health, what are those activities? For me, taking my dog or my family dog for a walk is like one of my, it is my favorite thing to do in the day. 
I don't know, something about like taking her to the park and then seeing how happy she gets and like throwing the frisbee for her. That gives me so much joy. And um, I'm fine with that because it's such a simple way to bring joy into my into my day. Um, and then for me, if I'm doing something like individually, something where I have to push myself because it's like this constant internal battle of, no, nah, I can't do one more squat. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then you, you know, you do another, you know, another session or whatever. And it's like, yes, okay, I could do it. So I don't know. It's, it, I, I like it when I have to always fight with myself to see, to challenge myself and see how far I can push it. Because then at the end, I'm like, yes, you're stronger than you think. It's like a good reminder that that little voice in your head like can be acknowledged but it's not necessarily the reality of your situation you know yeah it's like sometimes another silly one is my partner and I will have cold showers and I mean apparently it's very good for you but I think the main reason we do it it's sort of like this internal battle of it's you don't want to do it um but okay can you can you make your mind and your body do something that you know is going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to feel so good afterwards. And like, it's that internal battle. <laughs> Some days I, I, I do not have the strength to have a cold shower. <laughs> that is so fine. Do you have like the entire thing cold or is it like a blast at the end? No. So Nick, my partner, he gets in stone cold. Like he, <gasps> it is cold water and he gets in and I hear him in the bathroom going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but um, I know I, I cannot do that. I have a nice warm shower and then I try and turn that tap off and just close my eyes and wait for that beautiful freezing cold blast. Yeah. I remember I went through a phase where I was doing it with the cold blast at the end, like every, t- every day. And then I just was like, I can't, I can't mentally do that every day. It's too much for me. Yeah. I love having the indul- feeling indulgent in the shower. But I have to say, like, I mean, it's definitely a summer thing. I don't know how many times I do it in the winter, but it's incredible. Like after I do have that sort of blast of cold water, I feel so energized and I'm like, yep, okay, what am I ready to do? I'm doing it. Let's go. Now you mentioned um, uh, earlier about struggling with identity. And when we had our shoot the other week, we filmed this beautiful letter to my younger self and you spoke, you would beautifully spoke about how you struggled being feeling a bit stuck between two different cultures and growing up I felt similarly like my family my parents came from the Philippines a year before I was born and I grew up in a school where there are only a handful of kids from Asian descent but it was weird like I I felt like I never necessarily totally fit in but then when I went to the Philippines because I was going there with a with an Australian accent growing up in a different culture I never felt like I totally belonged there either and I just wondered for you like how um yeah how what did that reality look like for you I also think that's such a common story when I've spoken to people of Asian descent in Australia I think it's such a common story so for me anyway my my grandparents my gungung and popo came to Australia um, in the late fifties. Um, so my dad was born actually overseas, but he immigrated here and, um, they set up shop, literally set up a yarn shop in Mossman. So it was definitely not an area where, I mean, if anyone knows Mossman in Sydney, it's, um, you know, a very well-to-do suburb, um, very 
typically was quite a white Australian suburb. Um, and so my, my dad's family were the only Asians, you know, probably within a five kilometre radius, you know. For them, they had um, yeah, set up a yarn shop and my dad grew up in Australia, but because they had come here during the white Australia policy, um, my grandparents really insisted that my dad not speak any, they spoke Mandarin and Cantonese at home and they didn't want my dad to learn how to speak Mandarin or Cantonese. They wanted him to assimilate so that they wouldn't stick out, that they would be considered as Australian as they could. And so my dad, full Chinese, immigrated from China, lost all of his speaking skills, you know, in Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, So for me growing up, obviously, he wasn't able to teach me Mandarin or Cantonese. Um, And so I don't know, when I would be at school, I didn't look typically Australian, um, but the kids would think that I was Asian. But then if I would be with Asian communities, I couldn't speak their language. Um, And I was sort of, it's almost like shamed because we'd sort of left that side. It looked like we deliberately left that part of ourselves because we wanted to be Australian. I don't know. So it is really tricky because, yeah, you feel like you're kind of in no man's land. So I think I used that. And because I felt like I couldn't be fully part of the Asian community, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be completely part of this, you know, what I deem to be the Australian community or culture. And so even little things like I remember pretending or not pretending, but honestly believing that, okay, I couldn't be good at maths because then the kids would think that I'm like, you know, living into that stereotype of Asians are good at maths. So I remember dumbing myself down at school because I didn't want them to think, oh, well, she's smart because she's Chinese. And like, just so silly, but that affected my whole life um, because I wouldn't try in math class. And then it took me into high school where I'd say, oh, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math. I'm not like, I'm not the typical Asian, you know, it was that, that desire to fit in so badly. Yeah. And then that kind of, like, you don't realize it at that time, like dumbing yourself down, like it, it then takes a long time to train yourself out of it when you realize you had been doing that. I think I had done it for so long wanting to assimilate or become more what I thought was Australian that I had even like removed myself further and further and further from my like Asian heritage. And so then it took a really long time to try and feel connected to that again because I felt so embarrassed that I'd kind of shunned it. Um, and I felt like a bad, a bad Asian person, you know? Um, so that was like a lot of self, hatred almost that I'd done that um you know I think and I even spoke about it in the this day we had a shoot together but I'll never forget this because I it makes me feel a bit sick now when I think about it but I remember wanting and asking my parents if I could change my my mum kept her last name and I asked my parents if I could legally change my last name because I didn't want to be associated with being Chinese um because I thought okay people only can tell that I'm Asian because of my Hung surname. It's so heartbreaking, but I feel like so many people who grew up of a different culture here can totally relate. Like I totally related to that. So I don't think I've, I don't think I've said this in public anywhere, but I remember as a kid, like wishing that my family had come, oh, this is terrible, but come to Australia 
few generations back so that we could have bred out the Filipino out of us. And when I, th- and I was like little, like probably five or six years old, but all again, like you, I just wanted to fit in and everyone else looked different and did different things. And that makes me so sad now. And like with my daughter now, I make sure my mum comes over to help look after her twice a week. I tell my mum, like, speak to her in Tagalog, like, teach her all the Filipino things. I want to make sure that she isn't, doesn't feel disconnected from that. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, like, I know that pain. So thank you for sharing that. How did you end up making peace with your identity? I don't think it was like a, you know, a, a moment in time, um, I think it was over years and years and years, but I think you just grow in confidence of yourself. I think I was seeing a shift in society um, and I was sick of being, you know, I don't know. I I feel like when you're younger, all you want to do is fit in. And then as you get older, you go, oh God, no, I want to be, I want to be different. You want to stand out. You want to have your own thing that makes you unique. And it was actually that that helped me realize, okay, well, what does make me different or what makes me unique? And um, I was like, okay, well, I have, I, I'm so lucky. I have entree two different cultures, like my mum's side and this Asian side. This is so cool. And so when I also started realizing, like, obviously when I tried to get into the modeling industry, that there wasn't really much Asian representation, um, I don't know, I became, it, it sort of made me, want to push that ceiling um and it, want, it made me want it more because I thought well this is ridiculous there needs to be someone doing this um because if I had someone like that when I was growing up this would have been so much easier my mum had always been I think with my dad growing up in Australia and then during that white Australia policy he had he still had that like in his mind almost like brainwashed like he has to be Australian has to be Australian so my mum actually fell in love with my dad and she just loves like the Asian culture. And so she was the one that like really fostered it for us growing up, which I think is like amazing. But she's the one that used to cook us Chinese meals or any kind of Asian meal. Um, she was the one that organized all of our Chinese New Year parties. And she's the one that would, you know, get us the, you know, the the cultural costumes, all that sort of thing. So I really have my mum to owe for all of that. I just also wanted to ask you, when we're talking about identity, you mentioned something that helped us kind of feeling this shift in in Australia. Was that like, um, do you mean like in portrayals or in media? Like what did you mean about the shift? So, you know, the shift in the media, what I was thinking about is I started seeing people like, I know it sounds silly, but Poe on MasterChef and Benjamin Law and like things, things like that. Um, and that makes a world of difference. It might not to, um, you know, someone who's grown up in a sort of a, a fairly white Australian world, but if you're of like an Asian descent, seeing those people on TV makes a huge impact. Um, like Lily Chin, you know, like that, that stuff and people talking about them rather than de- like, associating them with being Asian but just being good at what they do um it's that kind of rhetoric that changes how you see yourself and you go okay we need more of that let's do more of that we I don't want us to just be on SBS let's be on all the major networks you know 
Yeah, that is so true. This is why I do wonder like growing up now how different I've, my relationship would have been to my identity because it's like even in Hollywood you see so many different people of different cultures and not playing to a stereotypical idea of what it means to belong to different cultures and I'm not even just talking about Asian descent I'm just talking about it, it's becoming it's becoming more inclusive which is great I think one good example is like growing up uh, I know because I would hear it but if I was having a play date at someone's house or someone was referring to me how would they distinguish they go oh because there was another girl in my year with the same name as me. And so um, I remember they say, oh, is it hot Cheska or is it Asian Cheska? And like, it's, it's no, but it's, it's, it's sort of like that was always referred to how you identify someone. Okay. She's the Asian one. Um, and so then you hear that all the time and you think, oh, that's all, I don't know. That's all I, you see me as, I don't know. It's like, why, it's, why is that like a bad thing? But when I, I used to nanny and I used to have kids and they had so many more, kids of different cultural backgrounds at school and when I'd ask them oh like which friend's coming over and they may have been Asian they never said that it was like oh my friend like Jack is coming over and then it it wasn't even a thing um they didn't even see it so I think it is changing so much like the kids growing up now it's like yeah they're my friends doesn't matter what (laughs) what color skin they have or how their eyes look you know yeah so what brought you into modeling I just really wanted, like, I, I love being able to express myself in different ways. Like, I'm quite shy as myself when it comes to, like, being out in public. But when I put on, like, I don't know, I find modelling and acting and all that sort of thing, presenting, it's almost like putting on a facade and putting on a character. Um, it's acting. Um, and mum said that when I was growing up, I just would spend hours talking to myself, putting on accents, walking around, making up stories. So I've always liked that make-believe world. And so sort of modeling was almost like the foot in the door to get into that world. Um, you know, I got to put on costumes every day and be someone different. Um, and I think obviously now when I think about it, I'm like, okay, so wanting to be someone different probably has a lot to do with growing up and wanting to be someone else, you know. But then it's also that creative side too, that it speaks to you. That's what it sounds like. Yes. I have had jobs where I work a nine to five in an office and um, that was um, not for me. Not for me. I think I need to be doing something. I need to be changing up what I'm doing every day or, yeah, being able to be creative. And representation, like we just mentioned, is seems to be like a big thing for you, especially in the last few years. Like you were the first person of Asian descent to be crowned Miss Universe Australia. How have you been using your voice to make sure that you're making an impact on women who didn't get that growing up but then also the next generations well I think by almost winning Miss Australia Miss Universe Australia almost makes that impact on its own um because it's a, it's a visual representation of I don't I feel like Miss Australia it's iconic um it's been iconic for however many years it's been running now it shouldn't be but it's sort of society's way of going okay this is what we deem a representation of Australia. So being named Miss Australia is honestly openly saying, okay, we under, we acknowledge that being Asian Australian is Australian. So that that is the impact, the message there of being chosen. I think that even like sharing my stories like this or doing podcasts or, you know, doing interviews where I talk about 
my history or the struggles of getting to where I am now, that all helps because I think if I just pretended that it was all roses and, you know, daisies, it wouldn't really be doing justice um, to the experience that many Asian Australians have. I mean, even working in media and working in uh, lifestyle media for so long, I never felt like I was represented in the faces that were chosen. So like working on women's health now, I'm very conscious that we make sure that we're not portraying such a narrow definition of what it means to not only be Australian, but what it means to be healthy, you know, and what that looks like. That in itself makes such an impact on people. You know, you walk past a convenience store or what, you know, news agency, and you see people on the cover that you wouldn't typically 20 years ago see that can make someone's whole life that makes them feel validated. It makes them feel seen um, and more confident to go into life thinking, okay, I don't, I have nothing to be embarrassed about. Yeah. Thank you. So I wanted to go back to your business venture again. Tell me about why you, you and your mom started Frankie and yeah, your plans for it. Yeah. So it's something that we both dreamed about for a long time. Mum used to be in the fashion industry so it's in the blood. Um, and my grandfather, um, who just passed last year, he was a manufacturer and in the fashion industry as well. So it's a bit of an homage to him. He was always the first person to compliment my outfit when I wore something. He was always the first person to say, oh, that color is stunning. What fabric is that? And he'd always check the care label. You know, like he was that one. He was so into it. Um, so we dressed to impress him. But yeah, mum and I have always wanted to do something and it just you know, hasn't been the right timing until now-ish. Um, and yeah, we just, we love beautiful clothes. I get to play with so much amazing fashion and I'll never stop doing that. I love, you know, that I get to wear so many different designers and Australian designs and all that sort of thing. But yeah, what we wanted to create was just something really classic, um, timeless, which I know is such buzzwords but that really is what it is it's like cross-generational almost you know some of the pieces that we have in the collection are cuts and styles that have been around for the last 40 years um, and that you can wear now and I also wanted to ask you about your acting career can you can you tell us about any updates yes I mean I um, am a cast in a tv show a drama series Um, we hopefully will be starting production on that very shortly um but that's yeah really exciting it's you know a drama and I'm uh, I don't know how much I can say but I'm, you know I think I, I mean it's out there the, the some of the notes are out there so you know we I play uh, we're all working actually at a PR agency so we're girls in the media um and it's a very like female-led tv drama um and it's you know all of our drama um, at work and outside of work. But yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. I've been taking lots of acting classes and it can be daunting at times, you know, putting yourself out there and you're always worried, oh God, is this, people are going to think this is really embarrassing or whatever. But that again is part of my news resolution, not to care what other people think and just go for it. If I want to do it, I got to go for it. Exactly. I love that. Um, and so where are you shooting I think shooting will be in Sydney. Okay, cool. All around, you know, studios and and we look such a beautiful city, so may as well take advantage of it. Yeah, cool. All right. So we will need to keep an eye out for that. I love that you're able to then 
like move into this new side of of your career like was that always the goal I mean wasn't always the goal because I never had the confidence to go for it it's been my dream since I was a kid um the absolute dream but I just really didn't have enough self-belief to ever go for it I just thought even the idea of sitting in an audition room made me feel anxious and I just curl up into a ball so this is it's taken me a little bit longer to get here but that's just because I needed to work on my own confidence and being able to put myself out there but it was always the dream so I can't believe I'm kind of living it I guess when we talk about self-belief it's like I get uh, I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed about tackling those big dreams because it just seems too far away but the way that you kind of explain it it's more like you you don't just jump to the big end thing there are there are other stages along the way that can whatever you're ready for you can tackle and then that will build that self-belief as you go on yeah absolutely I mean yeah I, I mean maybe some people probably don't want to spend as long as I have trying to get to this point here but yeah it's all about the little steps I mean like even when I went to uni the like a, a big step for me which was having to say who you were you know at the beginning of class when they say okay introduce yourself and tell us an interesting fact about you honestly that I, I would sit in bed a week before uni started thinking about that day and I would get so stressed out because like the idea of having to like, say something interesting about myself or speak in class you know I'd <laughs> freak out um so you know every time you tackle that and then you go to the next thing and then you go to the next thing. Like it all, it all builds and adds to your confidence and yeah, your, your own self-worth. Let's talk about wellness now. I'd love to know what wellness means to you. Well, for me, wellness is something that's all encompassing. Um, there isn't one section of wellness. It's not physical wellness, mental wellness, uh, emotional wellness. It's, it's all of that together. And as much as you can look beautiful on the outside, it is about how you feel on the inside. And how do you, for you, how do you cultivate that? For me, cultivating that sense of wellness is making sure I'm doing everything I know that makes me feel good. So whether that be getting a good night's sleep, um, using a great skincare routine or eating healthily, um, and little things like writing in my diary or making sure I'm expressing myself emotionally. <laughs> That's right. You're a big journaler, aren't you? A journaler, yes. Except I hope no one ever reads my journals. I mean, it would be terrible if someone did read my journals because I tend to write in it when I'm feeling heightened emotions. So either extremely excited and happy or a little bit down. So it's not really a um, a very realistic cross-section of my life. It's very... <laughs> I've told my brother if I die before him to come and find my journals and burn them before anyone reads them. No, I'm with you. My old diaries were like, today I went to the shops. And then now it's like straight into it. Like, I'm so angry. I'm so happy, you know. So how old were you when you first started? I think I have diaries from when I'm about like six or seven, but they're, they're almost like they're illegible. I mean, they are more like scribbles. But I think properly writing my diary when I was about, yeah, like 12, 13. And how often do you write in it now? <laughs> it's sporadic. Um, there are sometimes there are big gaps and I come back to my diary and I always write in it. I'm sorry it's been so long, but I've just been in a really good place, you know. Um, so I don't mind. Those gaps mean that I'm just like 
emotionally quite stable and everything's just chugging along quite nicely. So I don't mind having those those pauses between entries. I'm similar. My current journal, the first entry is still from 2019 and I'm still using the same notebook. Oh, wow. Okay. No. So my diary is definitely right now. It's just, it's pretty much the yeah, 2022 and I'm about to hop onto a new one for 2023. So maybe I write a bit more than you. But yeah, there've been so many studies that show the mental health benefits of keeping a journal, which is why everyone's encouraged to keep journals, but it's not for everyone. Yeah, I've, I've got my partner onto writing in journals as well now. <laughs> That's nice. And you've mentioned healthy eating. What does that look like for you? It's all for me about like keeping a balanced diet and eating what I want to eat. You know, I think I spent many years when I was younger restricting um, what I ate, trying to attain a certain weight. Um, you know, I had a list in my head of like foods that were naughty or deemed bad foods and good foods sort of thing. Um, gosh, I think I've had, I've been on so many different diets growing up. I think growing up in a world where that was so normal, seeing diet ads on TV or in the magazine, all that sort of thing. Like I, I think I was vegan for a bit and I tried the raw diet and then I was like high protein, you know, all of that stuff. And it just threw my whole body out of whack. I was either hungry or just like not getting enough nutrients or wasn't great. You know, I didn't have the energy. So like, you know, for the last sort of five to 10, not five to 10, but five years, all I focus on is eating what I want to eat, but making sure it's completely balanced. So getting all my proteins, getting, getting, you know, a balanced diet and nothing is off limits anymore at all, but it's just in moderation. What was a turning point for you when you realized that was actually... The, the best way for you to maintain health? I just wasn't happy. I was just, I was putting way too much pressure and thought on my body weight um, and it was taking too much energy and consuming my day-to-day life. I was sick of it. I, I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be healthy. Um, and so I just had to work on fueling my body and, um, yeah, I think you just waste, there's a lot of energy that can be wasted on tracking calories or I missed out on birthday things where you wouldn't indulge in the cake, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's even hard to be in social situations when you're so focused on what you're consuming that a lot of people who have interviewed say that they've ended up missing those, which is why they're like, is this actually worth it? I mean, like, I, I remember growing up and hearing the whole, like, a moment on the lips is a lifetime on the hips. Like, that is the kind of, like, you know, yeah. I mean, on TikTok, there's a trend and they're called, I think they're called almond mums. I think I've got that right. But it's like the mums that, no, my mum wasn't like that, but it's the mums that are always like, oh, you know, um, be careful what you eat or whatever it is. Um, and I think we just saw that in society. We're all, when you know, 90s kids and early 2000s and it was pretty um, pretty in to be thin. So it's just trying to, again, change that narrative in your head where like thin doesn't mean good, you know, it's healthy. Especially with that idea coming back after the like Kim Kardashian last year, I think it's important that we make sure that we can continue to promote like like healthy eating, sustainable healthy eating, rather this idea that you have to be thin for, like some people are just naturally thin. That's their body type. But for other people like thinking that they have to meet this ideal, society's ideal of 
the perfect body. Like that's total shit. I mean, I completely acknowledge that obviously I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a small woman. I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't understand what it would be like, you know, to be on the plus size, but even for myself, yeah, I've just spent too many years comparing and looking at those celebs or people and you go, what you want to compare yourself and be more like that. And yeah, I'm over that now. I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy in my skin. Um, and I love eating to feel fulfilled, to feel energized, like all those things that, that is, and I love eating cause I love food. <laughs> well, with your focus on wellness and then also beauty inside and then, um, making sure you look after your skin, like you seem like the perfect, the, you becoming an ambassador for Swiss beauty just seems like a no brainer, right? Can you tell me about that? Uh, how you ended up working with Swiss and why it's it is such a great brand for you. Let me tell you, when I first sort of heard that this was going ahead with Swiss and I was going to be um, their beauty ambassador, I, I it, it's up there with Mini, Mini Miss Australia. You know, like it's sort of Swiss is such an iconic Australian brand. It's so exciting to be working with a brand that focuses on wellness rather than beauty. I know it's, you know, about beauty, but it's their, their focus is on wellness and a holistic approach to looking after yourself. They spend a lot of time talking about mental health and ways to improve your life that don't have anything to do with always buying products, um, which is so unusual for a big company or a big brand. So that's why I absolutely love working with them. They really understand what it is to, you know, approach health in a complete way. You mentioned earlier about you having a skincare routine that's part of you know the way you look after yourself can you talk us through that I think when I was younger I kind of left skincare you know I feel like when you get older you start realizing okay skincare actually does work (laughs) but when you're younger everything you know your skin's perfect so you don't need to worry um but for me now every like without fail my favorite thing to do is my like skincare routine I love it I feel like it's so therapeutic. So it's a, a mental thing and a physical thing. My skincare routine, you know, double cleanse in the morning. Um, and then I am obsessed with using serums. So um, at the moment, like my absolute favorite is the Swiss Glow Booster Serum. So it's got hyaluronic acid in it and vitamin B5. So it just gives you that glowy, refreshed feel. And sometimes I just sit there and stand in front of my mirror and just continuously massage it. Oh my goodness, it just feels so good. Um, and then moisturizer. And then I try not to wear too much makeup every day. Um, I try to let the freckles shine, but SPF, obviously, that is a no-brainer. But yeah, it keeps me feeling feeling good and, and looking good. So to finish up, I thought we would do a rapid fire round yes beautiful all right so just the first answer that comes to your head okay the song that pumps you up september by earth wind and fire no way yes (laughs) um why why is that what does it have like good memories attached honestly if anyone ever asks me whenever i'm on shoot or in a studio on set they say what music do you want i always just say 80s pop music 80s pop that's my go-to. It's I listen to it on repeat. I don't know. I love it. I think I, I grew up on those kind of songs and I've just never grown out of it. Okay. So following on from that, the song that you dance to like crazy in your living room and no one's watching. Oh, that's so embarrassing. But I listen to like, like a Vici and Skrillex. 
<laughs> and then just go crazy. <laughs> yeah. And like I try and gabber, you know, like the gabber used to do. I, I do all of that. Um, it's so embarrassing, but I love it. That's awesome. Your favorite breakfast? My green smoothie bowl, which is just jam packed full of goodness but then it just tastes so good because I have like my muesli and peanut butter and all the sweet things on top I'm a I'm a sweet I love sweet breakfasts so where does the green come into this <laughs> so the green comes in because okay so this is my recipe it's like a frozen a whole big frozen banana which makes it taste like ice cream or nice cream and then the green is some broccoli frozen broccoli and yeah you cannot taste it frozen broccoli and frozen spinach and that is it and you blend it. Yeah, I've got like protein powder and greens powder and all that sort of thing. Yeah, blend it. It becomes, you, I want it, I like it really thick. So I, I pour it into a bowl so I can like actually eat it like it was a, it's almost like sludge. <laughs> and then on top, I've got like frozen raspberries, passion fruit, strawberries, and muesli and peanut butter. I feel like we need to test this out. <laughs> it's still, are you kidding me? It tastes, it's delicious. I li- we have it literally every morning without fail. It's my favorite thing in the morning. Oh my God, can you please video yourself making that one morning and send it to us and then we'll do our version and see if it tastes nice and we can do it like a live taste. Yes, oh my goodness, absolutely, done. (laughs) Um, The best piece of advice that your parents ever gave you? Stop comparing yourselves to other people. Um, Yeah, you're unique, so be you. And then finally... What do you want to have done in 2023 where you're like, cool, I've done that now? I mean, I would love to have shot um, our TV show and uh, film it, do my first sort of major acting role, Um, but that also scares me because I'm like, oh, my God, but then it's out there in the world as well, so I don't know. (laughs) No, that's what I want, yeah. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebilagan, with additional sound editing by Jess Campbell. For more from us, grab a copy of our latest issue with Francesca Hung on the cover. Find it on newsstands or online via Apple News Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. We will see you next time.